From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. There is no exquisite beauty without some strangeness in the proportion. That's a line from Edgar Allan Poe, the king of the dark and eerie, the strange and surreal. It could also describe the appeal of an exhibition currently on view at the High Museum of Art called Strange Light, the photography of Clarence John Lachlan. Lachlan has been called the Edgar Allan Poe with a camera. Lachlan was a Louisiana native and Southern photographer known as the father of American surrealism, a fascinating and irascible character. He broke boundaries with photographic innovations that linked imagery to the subconscious. Who was this enigmatic Southern artist? He is truly one of the great American photographers. He had a a wonderful sense of theater. He was kind of a 19th century character trapped in the 20th century. The exhibition is on view until November the 10th, but today we're going to get a snapshot of the life and work and vision of photographer Clarence John Lachlan. John Lawrence is director of the museum, of museum programs for the historic New Orleans collection, which holds Lachlan's archives and master prints. Joining me now from WWNO in New Orleans, John, thank you for taking the time. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. And Gregory Harris is here with me in the studio, Associate Curator of Photography for the High Museum. Hello, Gregory. Good morning. Well, I'm going to start with you, Gregory. The High began collecting Lachlan's work in 1974, made a landmark acquisition in 2015. Since then, it's been years of collecting, organizing, and researching. So what is it that distinguishes his work in Southern and American photography? Uh, Lachlan was a photographer who was very far ahead of his time in in so many ways. He was one of the first photographers to really stage his uh, his scenes for the camera, to kind of build a story and use photography as a, a tool for uh, creating a narrative, for uh, using it as a tool for visual storytelling uh, within a single frame. Um, and that's something that's since become very popular and very common in contemporary photography. He was also someone who experimented in the darkroom very extensively, uh, combining negatives, uh, double exposing things in the camera, uh, working with the the chemistry um, in unusual ways. He was not very uh, concerned about kind of a straight photograph. And so these these were things that he was doing in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, long before a lot of other photographers uh, were doing that. And so he he kind of... uh, pre-visualized many of the things that would come in modern and contemporary photography in subsequent generations. And so I think he's someone who's not really been appreciated for those for those contributions, partly because of the fact that he was a Southerner and spent almost his entire life in New Orleans. So he was away from the major art centers at the time. Uh, but he was um, he was incredibly innovative and made major contributions that I think are just now starting to, to really be recognized. Well, let's get a little sense of his life. He was born in New Iberia, Louisiana, 1905, moved to New Orleans when he was young. John, what else do we know about his formative years? Well, Lachlan um, and his family, uh, as you said, uh, lived in New Orleans uh, from about 1910 until the rest of his life. He um, was fascinated with reading, uh, a a hobby or a practice that he attributes to his father, uh, taking him to the library. His sister, Laura, was part of the family life. Uh, Lachlan's father dies in the 1918 flu epidemic, and so Clarence leaves leaves his schooling to help support his family after just an eighth grade education. And uh, through a, a series of jobs that 
made him uh, ultimately appreciate uh, the value of uh, not only a literary education but a creative uh, life. He um, he becomes involved with uh, writing uh, prose poems, fiction, trying to market these to various outlets while still working as a clerk in a bank, and uh, hits upon the idea that if he perhaps accompanies these writings with photographs, they might have a wider appeal. And so in the early 1930s, uh, he takes up photography, uh, never abandons writing, but um, people who know his work know it more through the images rather than the words that accompany it. And it was really important to him to, that he be known as a collector of books. This was one of his central things. Uh, and also, he lost his dad young, as you said. Uh, his father died of the Spanish flu right around the end of World War One. So he had to drop out of school. Did he teach himself photography? He did. He um, he did not take any formal courses. By the time he had taught himself the rudiments of it, he had secured uh, a job with the U.S. Corps of Engineers as uh, as a photographer for uh, construction projects uh, that were happening in. Uh, the lower Mississippi Valley in the wake of the 1927 flood. And um, Lachlan learned, I think, as much photographic technique as he needed to to uh, express the ideas that he wanted to express. express. And as, uh, as Gregory mentioned, this kind of uh, fueled an interest in experimentation in the darkroom and uh, kind of achieving results and then s sticking with with that until a new vision uh, necessitated a different form of experimentation. Now he's known primarily for these black and white images of decaying antebellum plantations, you know, dripping with Spanish moss. These were pretty abundant in the 20th century and wrote a book or pr published a book, rather, of photographs, Ghosts Along the Mississippi, this kind of spooky surrealism. Yet in, the, in this film, we saw a documentary about him. It is called The Phantasmagorical Clarence John Lachlan. Here is artist Don Dedeau talking about his aesthetic. His quest to reconcile this kind of Catholicism, his, it, it's lost and found having faith, losing faith, and trying to find it again. And all of this stuff showing up in his imagery. For a man who was an atheist, there's sure a lot of ghosts around the place. You know, there's still an afterlife somewhere in Clarence's world. So this is, this is a part of him. It's not easy to reconcile, but there is this kind of attachment to um, an old South, the decaying South. Gregory, what do you think was the draw for him there? Well, he he spent uh, most of his younger life in New Orleans, and he spent his you know he he died in New Orleans as well. Um, and I think he was just fascinated by by the historic architecture um, and by the the history of that of that place where he lived. Um, he was also drawn to the literary history of the South and wanted to find ways to incorporate that into his work. And I think he just saw all of the the layers of possibility that existed in in these places which he which he frequented. Um, and he used photography as a way to kind of strip away some of those layers and reveal um, the ghosts, such as it was, that that existed around around New Orleans and the the plantations and the French Quarter. Um, but it was you know it was a tool for him to kind of uh, get to another level of consciousness through photography or to reveal these things that were you know hidden in plain sight that couldn't be seen readily by. Uh, by the human eye alone. Hidden in plain sight. Here's another clip from that film, uh, someone describing, uh, John, you may know the voice better than I, about what it was like to walk around with Clarence John Lachlan. 
I remember a couple of wonderful times of walking through the quarter with Clarence and he would gesture, he would constantly point out faces looking at us and he saw them constantly. The world contacted him in ways that I simply wasn't sensitive to. John, so he was seeing something else in in the ordinary objects that other people saw. And this may have had something to do with his adding these ghostly elements, this double exposures, collage uh, that Gregory mentioned earlier. Why do you think there was such a um, fascination there? Go ahead. Yes. Well, I think Clarence was was willing to do whatever it took to bring the uh, visual idea to to life. And what... If that meant um, uh, staging uh, staging a photograph or uh, including a double exposure or a combination print in the darkroom or adding elements of collage or other handwork, this is um, uh, all – there were no rules. Uh, or you could say every, every rule was meant to be broken. And part of, uh, part of Clarence's mission was to help people see these things uh, – in their own way, but he also guided them through the inclusion of sometimes very extensive texts to accompany the picture and and almost lead uh, a person uh, to the brink of his own subconscious thoughts on uh, on the image and and to kind of offer a path for their own. John Lawrence there, Director of Museum Programs for the Historic New Orleans Collection. Also with me, Gregory Harris, Associate Curator of Photography for the High Museum in Atlanta. And we're talking about the Southern photographer Clarence John Lachlan, whose work is on view at the High right now. Well, that kind of experimentation may have been popular in European circles at that time, and we're talking mid-20th century. But American photographers then were much more concerned with realism, with recording the truth. Anyone, John or Gregory, have thoughts on why Laughlin diverged from that? Uh, Gregory, do you wish to address that first? Why don't you go ahead? (laughs) Okay. Um, Yes, uh, Clarence looked to Europe for his photographic cues, whether he was um, looking at the work of uh, Eugene Adje, a, a photographer of a different generation who he appreciated so much, or uh, his more contemporaries, um, Man Ray or uh, um, Eugene Berman. Clarence kind of felt that uh, American photography, as it were, w- was sort of stuck in a rut of either purely formal expression or social uh, documentary photography. Photography. He wanted a third way uh, to expose uh, things about the world through photographs, and and this is what what kind of led to uh, not even a hybrid, but a, a unique way of of looking at the world through the camera. Gregory, do you want to pick up on that? I mean, he was he began working as a photographer in the the throes of the Great Depression. He matured during uh, World War II, and he really concluded his mature work as a photographer during the height of the Civil Rights Movement. So he was. <clears throat> His career was going to uh, was was building and growing as the the country was in these you know various phases of massive social change, and you know a photographer like Walker Evans would respond to that by going out into the world and making pictures of of the world as it is, trying to describe what was happening in a very frank, rational way. And I think Lachlan saw that there were. And there were ways that, you know, just pointing a camera at something was not going to reveal 
the you know the real tension, the anxiety, the emotional tone alone, and so he wanted to find ways to to augment that and to talk about things that weren't uh, readily available just in the visual world uh, as it was. And so he he stumbled upon all of these other these other techniques for adding adding these layers and addressing these issues that you couldn't see necessarily. Well, let, it, okay, so you're leading to something that comes across in his films and also the wall text at the High Museum to me, this kind of idea that, you know, he is on one level taking photographs of antebellum mansions and their crumbling ruin, but also uh, taking photographs and making portraits of African Americans, which wasn't, you know, done uh, in certainly... Let's say, well, actually, I don't know that. <laughs> you guys know a lot more about photography in the 20th century than I do. But but making some kind of commentary, for example, championing the artist Clementine Hunter. Um, so an African-American. So in the one hand, he seems to be nostalgic for this past, but on the other, making some sort of commentary on how that life had transformed the lives of others. Is that fair? Absolutely, I man. I think he was he was deeply conflicted about the history of the South and the present that he was living in, and how the the impact of slavery and the the Jim Crow laws, you know, still resonated um, during his lifetime. And I think there was a, a certain amount of him that that, like you said, had he had nostalgia for this other way of life, this kind of old South, this uh, antebellum South, and he saw that in the architecture. I mean, he was a he loved architecture. Was very involved in historic preservation, and so he kind of revered, you know, these uh, these old South plantations and the creative achievements that they recognized. But at the same time, um, he saw that they were symbols of of a, of a you know a ghastly and shameful uh, past and an, and an economy that had been built on the backs of people who were who were horribly exploited. And so, to balance out those pictures uh, that kind of uh, rever- you know revered the old South, he made sure to photograph a lot of the the descendants of formerly enslaved people. And to photograph them with, you know, a degree of, you know, high degree of dignity to to show, to show their humanity, to show their dignity in a way that they they weren't often portrayed in photographs uh, at the time. Um, also, an interesting relationship with women. He was married five times, twice to the same woman. And there is a photo on display in the show at the High called "The Repulsive Bed." This is woman in this black veil, which is often a theme for him, which looks very, you know, Victorian shadow of death on some level. She's splayed on a mattress on a floor of a once grand room, now moldering, referencing the decay of the marital marital bed. So, do these in in some ways show a fraught relationship with women or in some ways idealize them, project upon them? I'm, I'm not sure um, uh, how Clarence would have, uh, would have characterized his own relationship with women. They were, uh, as you said, certainly a big part of his life um, uh, through five marriages, and they are... Um, Certainly important, uh, important figures, literally and um, symbolically, in in many of the photographs he makes. I, w- I would uh, I would be doing uh, your listeners and Clarence a disservice if I if I went further than that because I simply don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, looking at his work altogether, John, you know, clearly very tied to the character of New Orleans, a place that couldn't afford urban renewal when other cities were plowing down the old to make way for the new. What do you think his work does to reflect or refute the concept, the canon of Southern art and the South overall? 
it's um, uh, New Orleans has has often been characterized as uh, in the South, but not of the South. And I think that uh, Clarence's uh, interpretation of the city that he called home for most of his life is reflective of that. It represents uh, a place that he found great comfort in, in spite of uh, in spite of its flaws. His uh, his sense of the city's own history is something that is inextricably linked to his photographs of it and uh it's it's one of uh as almost a, a casual uh side effect he gives us this wonderful documentary evidence of the city uh during the middle decades of the 20th century well he's a fascinating man we could talk a lot more about but that's what we have time for today john lawrence thank you so much my pleasure. Thank you. John Lawrence, Director of Museum Programs for the Historic New Orleans Collection. And Gregory Hines Harris, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Gregory is Associate Curator of Photography for the High Museum. Again, there is a show going on, Strange Light, the photography of Clarence John Lachlan, on view at the High Museum through November the 10th. Many of those images you may have seen before in other places, but really give it a different kind of awareness seeing them up close. Our show for today is over. We, you heard music by Dead Man's Bones earlier. Now we're going to leave you with Red Right Hand by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. We'll be back with more of On Second Thought tomorrow. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. I'm Virginia Prescott. Past the bridge, past the mills, past the steps.